Well, if you would again, uh, take out your Bible and let's turn to Luke chapter 24. And we'll be reading today verses 13 through 35. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay careful attention to the reading of it. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. Uh, We thank you for the reminder that the Lord has risen. He is risen indeed. Father, we pray that you would bless now the preaching of your word, be with this your servant. We ask, O God, that we would learn from you, that we would understand and apply these truths. And that Jesus is glorified. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is perhaps 
no event in human history as significant as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, rising from the dead, vindicates that in fact He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, the Son of God who came to redeem His people. Christ, being the first fruits of the dead, is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman who had crushed the head of the serpent. The serpent may have wounded the Redeemer at the cross. He did, after all, really and truly die. Jesus died on the cross. But He did not remain in the grave. As Psalm 16 prophesied, His soul was not abandoned to Sheol, nor did the Holy One see corruption. He was raised from the dead with a true but glorified body. And this, Jesus had fulfilled the sign of Jonah, just as He said He would, having rested in the grave for three days. You see, the doctrine of the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ is vital to the Christian faith. So much so, the Apostle Paul calls it the, of first importance. First Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then He appeared to Cephas, and then the Twelve. And Paul goes on, ultimately talk of Himself, also meeting Christ. And much like at His birth, which was announced to shepherds in the field, the Savior's resurrection was announced not to the Jewish leaders, not to the Roman leaders, It wasn't even announced first to the twelve who were among the inner circle. The the raising of Jesus was first announced to the women who come to the grave. And then, as Luke records for us here, to these two disciples who were not even a part of the inner circle. Now, to be sure, Jesus does appear to Peter and to the other apostles in due time. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians, as well as our present text tells us. But what is recorded in each of the Gospels is his first appearing to those who may otherwise seem like an afterthought. What this shows, I think, is that the Lord came for the many, even the least of the world by the world's standards. Jesus came to save from the least to the greatest. He came to save sinners by faith in Him. And so now we come to this account of these two disciples of Jesus on this road to Emmaus, only one of which is named. We know nothing more about him beyond what we read here. These two disciples are walking towards uh, this village uh, called Emmaus. As they walk, they walk with heavy hearts. We presume their minds were swirling with everything that had gone on in the past few days, particularly the tragic events of three days prior. Their teacher had been murdered on a cross. And so verse 13 says that it was that very day, that is, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, and the day of the events recorded in the preceding verses. 
Looking back at the beginning of Luke 24, it was on the first day of the week, of course that is Sunday, early in the morning that some of the women had gone to the tomb of Jesus with spices for the body. Now the burial of Jesus needed to be done in a hurry because of the Sabbath. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who uh, had asked for the body of Jesus from Pilate, along with Nicodemus, uh, and Nicodemus, you may recall from John chapter 3, had come to Jesus at night. Uh, These two provided a mixture of spices for the burial as best as they could. And so these women now were coming after the Sabbath was over. On that first day of the week, they came to finish caring for the body. But when they arrived, they found that the stone had already been rolled away. The tomb now was empty. Now, if you're one of these women and you come to the tomb, this would have been very unsettling. Their first thought would be that someone had come and stolen the body. But suddenly, they're startled by two men, it says, in dazzling apparel, which of course are these two angels, who ask them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And so the angels remind the women of all that Jesus had taught them concerning his death. And so they go back to the apostles and the other disciples and they tell them, here's what we have seen and heard. But Luke records that the men did not believe them. That this is nothing but an idle tale. So Peter and John, they run to the tomb. Of course, Luke only tells us about Peter, but in other accounts we see that both of them... They go see these things for themselves. They find things exactly as the women had said. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. So this was the day. It was on that day, probably later in the day, maybe in the late afternoon, that these two disciples of Jesus are now walking home, we presume at least to their home, they're walking at least towards the village of Emmaus. And they are at this point unaware that Jesus has, has appeared to Mary, which is recorded in other, uh, uh, other um, Gospels, and also to Peter. But they knew, they knew that Jesus was dead and they knew that the body was gone. This is what they knew. And so up to this point, Luke... And his record has recorded the empty tomb. He's recorded the message of the two men in dazzling apparel announcing the resurrection of Jesus. And that Peter had gone and seen for himself that, in fact, the tomb is empty. But Luke has not yet recorded any appearance of Jesus. And so here we have these two disciples who, as mentioned, are not part of the inner circle of Jesus. They're on their way back from Jerusalem. They're walking to Emmaus, and that's about a seven-mile or so walk. And we don't, and again, we don't know nothing, we know nothing about these two. The, the text doesn't tell us anything about them. Now, James Boy suggests that they could have been a husband and wife. It's possible. Uh, there's little to indicate this one way or the other. Uh, It's also not explicitly stated where they're going, whether they lived in Emmaus or simply stopping there on their way home. Maybe they live in Galilee. All we know is that they're on this road to Emmaus and they're talking and they're hurting. So these two are talking about the events of the day and uh, presumably of all the things that have happened up to this point. They had been in the city uh, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Of course, that's the Passover. 
they may have stayed in the city longer than they anticipated as they witnessed the crucifixion of their master and their teacher. And as they, begun, as they had begun that day, they heard of the incredible and perhaps disturbing news that the tomb was empty. But what does this all mean? These, these women came and said that uh, angels had said that Jesus was risen. Could it be that that's what it is? Could it be somebody stole the body? Why did Jesus need to die anyway? Was he really risen from the dead? Was this simply an idle tale from these women? Was this simply wishful thinking? What does this all mean? We presume that they had heard the reports. Verses 6 and 7. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Could this be true? These are perhaps some of their ponderings as they walk together, seeking to reason over the events. What has gone on? It is here that at this moment that Jesus appears to them. Look at verse 15. It says, While they were walking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But we read that they were kept from recognizing him. Notice that they were talking about their teacher and their Lord. They were discussing Jesus. Jesus comes to them, and yet they're unable to recognize Him. Perhaps as Jesus quickened His step from behind them and caught up to them, maybe He appeared next to them, but their eyes were not open. They did not know who this was. To them, this was just some stranger. They were kept from recognizing Him. The Greek in verse 16 is actually passive. They were caused to not be able to know Him. Now this may seem like a small detail, but this is important. They, for they will, will not be able to know Him until He opens their eyes in verse 31. They cannot know who this is until He causes them to know who He is. And throughout, throughout this account, they are talking about their Lord, they hear the Scriptures open to them, and yet they cannot see. This is because natural man is unable to accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 15. In order for you and I to know the things of God, we must first have eyes which have been opened by the Spirit. These two disciples did not yet have eyes that were open, even as they had the prophets, even as they had the teachings of Scripture, even as they knew the teachings of Jesus. They did not yet believe, but they will believe when their eyes are open. And so as they continue now to walk and talk, and Jesus asks them a very simple question. He sort of catches up to them or appears with them, and he asks this, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? 
Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus would do things like this. He would use the method of asking questions as a way of persuading people to reveal their heart. And this question caused them to stop and to stand still. And they looked very sad. After a brief pause, one of them, Cleopas, asks with surprise, maybe, uh, 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 maybe a little offended, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? I mean, are you kidding me? How do you not know about this? The reason for their sorrow and the conversation that they've been having seems like it should be obvious. These were very public events which have occurred. All of Jerusalem undoubtedly knew about this. How could this intruder into their conversation be so unaware? But the stranger, which of course is Jesus, only asks them another simple question, which then allows them to unburden their heart. He simply asks, What things? And so they begin to tell tell the stranger of Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Indeed, these disciples were right to describe Jesus this way, for he was the one Moses had spoken of in Deuteronomy 18:15, who the Lord would raise up from among the nation. And Jesus did indeed perform many signs and wonders. Jesus taught with authority. And many of the people were witnesses to these things. Many were aware of his teachings. But the chief priests and rulers had him put to death. And the leaders of Israel, to be sure, were to blame for his death, for they had handed Jesus over to the pagan Roman rulers to be put to death. And then, as he recounts what had gone on, And verse 21 has added this, But we had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. Now here, here's the core of their sorrow. We thought thought He was going to redeem Israel. We thought this was it. This is the Redeemer. The hope among the followers of Jesus was that He was the Redeemer that they were looking for. And, of course, they were right. They were right that He is the Redeemer. But the question is, what sort of redemption did they want? What were they looking for? What they were perhaps looking for was was for Israel to be delivered from all her woes, both political and spiritual. Perhaps as he thinks back over the teachings of Jesus and his mighty deeds, that he was the one who would rescue the people. He did say that he was bringing a new covenant in his blood. Jesus did say that he would die for the people. There were many teachings of the coming of Messiah which fit Jesus of Nazareth. So these disciples recognized this, but now they're struggling to understand. We... We hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. 
They had hoped that this one who was so mighty in word and deed, healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, feeding the thousands, that he would act with messianic power, that he would deliver the people of Israel from all of their earthly and spiritual enemies. But he had been rejected by the leadership. That the chief priests and nations had, conde- had condemned him to death. And now, now it has been three days since he was executed on that cross. And, and hope, hope was fading. Though Cleopas and his companion were feeling a great burden and sorrow, there may have been in some sense they were hopeful still. One can imagine the turmoil that the disciples must have felt. The Master had been crucified. He had died three days prior. But some amazing things have occurred during the course of the day. There's these reports of the empty tomb, the vision of the angels saying he's alive. Jesus had promised that he would be raised from the dead in three days. In fact, this was the sign he had been given. He had been given the sign of Jonah. Could it be that this has happened? It is hard to believe because their eyes were not yet open. Although the tomb was empty, these two disciples were not aware of anyone witnessing the risen Lord yet. And so there was hope, but hope was fading as they continued to walk on the way. They thought that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Redeemer of Israel. But now they're perplexed, they're confused, they're hurting in their hearts as they walk and converse together. And it is here that the Lord, who still at this point is unknown to these two disciples, begins to open the Scriptures to them, saying this, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory I want you to know that Jesus is not being harsh here he's being gentle but prodding them in their unbelief he's not calling them fools but he's calling them foolish for the unbeliever is a fool and he's saying you're You're acting like unbelievers. You're being foolish. He asked them, in essence, how how is it that you're so slow of heart? That you don't believe everything that the prophets have taught. Don't you understand that it was necessary that Christ should suffer? The emphasis really is on two things. Believing everything and the necessity of the Lord's suffering. See, Christ diagnoses the reason for their unbelief. They were not taking into account in believing all that was written and taught concerning the Messiah from all of the prophets. If they wanted to understand what the promises of God were concerning the Redeemer of Israel, they just needed to open their Bibles. But like many of their countrymen in that day, they were focused on the glory and the victory of the Messiah, but they had paid little attention to the path the Savior was to take in getting there. See, the blessings of victory over sin and death were to come on the pathway of suffering. 
the Messiah of God, the Savior, and indeed the Redeemer of Israel was to suffer and to die. Isn't this what Isaiah speaks of when he prophesies of the suffering servant? Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Apparently they forgot about the suffering servant. The Redeemer of Israel was to suffer. Or what about Psalm 118? It speaks of the promised one saying this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Of course, Genesis 3.15, which we've been studying, we had studied in our uh, series in Genesis, speaks of this, of the heel of the, the heel of the seed of the woman being bruised, even as the head of the serpent is crushed. Jesus had in his earthly ministry applied these teachings to himself. He had demonstrated from the word the fact that he was to suffer and to die. And this was absolutely necessary in order that from him life may come and that we may enter into his glory with him. You see, the necessity of the death and resurrection of Christ is so vital to our Christology. To understand Jesus, that the Son of God must suffer and die. For if the Son of God does not suffer and die, then there was no atoning sacrifice for us. In fact, Matthew 16, 21, we read that Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This is what Jesus said. He told them very plainly what was to happen. In fact, this is the reason that Peter confronts Him. May it never be, Lord. I don't know about you. I think I'm like Peter, putting my foot in my mouth often. This is why why Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan! Because it was necessary that the Redeemer of Israel suffer. And so the disciples, the disciples were very aware of this teaching. Jesus taught this very plainly. They were slow in understanding and accepting it because they did not believe all of the Scriptures. There's a lesson here for us as well. There are some things in the scriptures that we don't like. There are some things that we don't want to understand. There may be things in the scriptures which don't fit our personal fancies. But we need to know and submit ourselves to the Word of God and believe what it teaches. Not what we want it to say. Not what fits our own personal fancies. The follower of Jesus submits to his word and is shaped and molded by it. We need to know all and believe all of the scriptures. 
And so, again, beginning with the books of Moses and through all the prophets, Jesus begins to interpret the scriptures concerning himself. He, he, essentially what he does, he, he, he repeats again what he's done throughout his earthly ministry. And we're reminded again that the teachings concerning the Redeemer are not confined to one particular book of the Bible or another, or to a few specific passages. No, no. The whole of the Scriptures speak of the Redeemer and the Lord. The whole of the Scriptures point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the Bible does. For this reason, we must understand the Bible and interpret the Bible in the light of the whole of the history of redemption. Interpret the Scriptures by the Scriptures themselves. We must search for and trace out that golden thread which runs throughout the Word of God and points us to Christ, the Redeemer. And see how the prophets, see how the Psalms, all the various parts of Scripture point us to our Savior. When taken together, you can clearly see that the Old Testament speaks of Jesus, the suffering servant, the Redeemer of Israel, the Son of God, the Son of Man, His suffering, His death, His resurrection from the dead, His saving His people from their sins, His atoning work on the cross. All that the New Testament teaches concerning Christ was foreshadowed and written in the Old Testament. Which is why the New Covenant is not new in the sense of time, but is renewed. God is dealing with His people, looking to redeem them from the very start. We see, we saw that, see that in Genesis. From the very beginning after the fall, God had sought out to redeem His people to Himself. And so Jesus interprets these passages to these two disciples. He shows them, He opens the Scriptures to them. Now this conversation which involved Jesus instructing them, now seeing to take the rest of the journey to the village that they were going to. Luke reports that Jesus was going to keep on walking, although clearly his desire was for them to invite him in. And oh, are they glad that they did. The two, as Jesus uh, acts that he was going to continue walking, they urge him to please stay with us. It's getting late. He had instructed them so well, perhaps they hoped to hear more. That would certainly be my motivation. Instruction in the truth of the gospel is so encouraging. It is always good to hear this good news over and over again. And so Jesus stays with them. Before long, the three sat down at the table for a meal. Jesus himself took the leading place as the host, which is interesting considering that he was the invited guest. And yet he takes the head place, and he takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Now, you might have noticed this as we were reading it, but the language used here is very similar to that used when Jesus had performed the Last Supper, giving the bread. And it was at this point, as he broke the bread and gave it to them, that their eyes were caused to be opened. They knew now who they were with. And again, like earlier, the Greek verb is passive. God caused their eyes to be opened. Think about this. 
Jesus had spent a number of hours with these two, walking and talking about the scriptures, applying it to their Lord, who they were saddened had been killed. For someone who had seemed so unaware on the things that had gone on, he sure seemed to know a lot about Jesus and how Jesus has fulfilled all the scriptures. And yet, it wasn't until this point that they finally see. Think about that. They, they recognize who they have been conversing with. And it shows once again it is God who opens the eyes of the heart. He, it is God who causes the blind to see. And so when Jesus broke the bread, and perhaps there was something recognizable in how he did this, but they finally saw and believed. And then it says that Jesus vanished from their sight. Evidently, the resurrected body of Christ enabled him to appear and disappear at will. At at this point, these two disciples had immediate recognition. They realized why they had been so moved earlier as Jesus had instructed them. They exclaimed in verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? Their sorrow had been turned into great joy as they were hearing the scriptures being applied to their Savior. This is the Redeemer of Israel. Although Jesus had physically departed from their presence, all doubt was now gone too. Jesus is the Christ, He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is the Redeemer of Israel. What joy these disciples must have felt. All of the scriptures were now clear to them. The promises of God had been realized. He had come to redeem the people to himself. And so what, what are they to do? Well, they did probably what any of us would do. They run back to Jerusalem. we we got to tell the others. And so immediately they begin back the seven-mile trek to Jerusalem. They had to tell the others about what what had happened. And so it says that they found the eleven. Now this is the technical name for the group of disciples who were part of that inner circle. Uh, Previously you would have said the twelve, but of course Judas had uh, sold out the Lord, and so he's not part of the group anymore. And it's not necessarily the case that all the eleven were there. We know that Thomas wasn't there because he he sees the risen Lord later. Uh, That's evident from John chapter 20. But there was uh, disciples there and some of the eleven. And probably what had brought this, this group together was the report of the women having seen the angels, the empty tomb. Uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, John writes, had met the risen Lord outside of the tomb. Uh, Remember, she mistaked him for the gardener. Then, of course, Peter himself sees the risen Lord. And so as these two come in to give their account, it's almost like like they kind of bust into the room. We have this great news. Oh, oh, we've got to tell you. The Lord has risen indeed. He appeared to Simon. They haven't even got a chance to tell them what they had seen. Jesus had, had appeared to Peter. It's not just that the tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. Their teacher and their master lived. He is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And so the two travelers to Emmaus then shared their story about what had happened to them. And there's a particular emphasis given on how they came to know when Jesus broke the bread. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Here we have this most significant event in human history, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God come in the flesh. And I think what we learn here is this this cannot be apprehended without spiritual eyesight. The risen Christ appeared to men, but they could not see and believe until they were given sight. This truth is, I think, particularly informative for us as we look to make disciples of the nation, seeking the lost of our community, communicating the gospel to those who do not believe. The evangelistic enterprise requires God intervening upon people's unbelief. To believe the gospel, to know the risen Christ requires hearts which have been transformed and renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. So our role then is to be faithful instruments in the Savior's hands, speaking the truth in love with gentleness and respect. And let us never forget the miracle of God. And that is that you and I believe that all ourselves. Our Savior lives. And you and I are able to understand this truth. We're able to believe this, not because we have beheld Christ with our own eyes. None of us have been able to see Christ, the risen Christ. And yet, we believe. It's not because we've investigated all the evidence. It's not because we found it weighed in our favor. No, it's because we have hearts which have been renewed and transformed. Indeed, as Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. This beloved congregation is a miracle of God as well. And so I encourage you to rejoice, to be glad, beloved Christian, for your belief in Christ, your knowing the resurrected Savior and Lord is a work of God in you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that it is by your Spirit that you have given to many in this world spiritual eyes. We thank you that we are able to know the risen Christ, that this event which happens in time and space, this real historic event, we can know and believe not only because of all the eyewitnesses, not only because of all of the evidence but because of your spirit and your word speaking to our hearts. And so we pray. We pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of the hearts of those who do not yet believe, who do not know, that you would cause them to believe, and that as the scriptures are opened, that they could see that all of the things that were written, all that was written from beginning to end, speak of this Savior who has come and will return again. And to that end, we look forward to that day. Oh, may we rejoice for our Savior lives. Christ has risen. 
He has risen indeed. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Our King and our risen Lord. Amen.